Take your Bible, 2 Samuel. We want to pray after I get to this passage. Um, 2 Samuel chapter 9. I want to pray that I'm able to do this message tonight. Um, there are certain messages, certain parts of the Bible that I just, I, I just, it get to me, and I just have a real hard time, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be humbled probably before you for the hundredth time, and um, pray that God would help me to go through this and represent it right, and maybe you, you can have what He wants you to have, and we'll just do the whole chapter there. I'm gonna read quickly. And David said, "Is there any yet left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness?" For Jonathan's sake, there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when he had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there yet any of the house of Saul that I may show kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said to the king, Jonathan hath yet a son. Now Jonathan's dead. Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame in his feet. But that's very important if I don't bring it out. But David did not allow any handicapped people in the city of David. They were not allowed. No handicapped people with any kind of flaws were allowed in the city of David. And in the temple. If you've just read Leviticus, you know that's true also of the temple. And yet, he's, and so this, uh, this man, Mephibosheth, as you'll find, has lame in his feet. The king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto him, Behold, he's in a house at Makar, and a son of Emil, and Lodibar. And then King David sent and fetched him. He was southern. Fetched him out of the house to make her a son of Emil in Lodibar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered and said, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, I will show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. Uh, it was traditional in this time period that when a king was, uh, in the case of Saul, anybody that was related to Saul was an enemy of David. Uh, typically, when a new king would come in, he would kill all the relatives of the former king so that there wouldn't be a civil war. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? Then the king called Zeban, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all the pertainments of Saul and to all his house. And there, thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him. 
Thou shalt bring in the fruits, and that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread alway at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And says Ziba unto the king, according to all that thou, my lord, had told the king, and commanded his servants, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was um, Micah, and all that dwelt in the house of Zeba and his servants under Mephibosheth. And so Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. Father, come now. Oh, my. May you, some, may you come in such a way tonight that this, would, this service would never be forgotten. That this truth in this passage may penetrate us in our hard hearts. And that we may see, in some degree, allow us to see it. To see what you did for us and what, you, what you're doing for us and what you will do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you may not know the history, the background of this. Saul was the first king of Israel. Israel uh, was, uh, had God as their king. They call it, uh, it was ruled by God. And uh, they would go to the priests, and God would talk to the priests. And the priests would tell the people what was the law and things, and that's the way it ran. And they got tired of that, and they said, we want a king like the other nations. Now, Anytime the church or God's people try to be like the world, it's wrong. It's just the wrong direction. And they wanted to be like the world. Give us a king like the world's got. And he said, oh, my. So Samuel, Samuel felt rejected. But God said, look, Samuel, they're not rejecting your leadership. They're rejecting me as their leader. And so he gave them a man. And Saul was a good man. He started as a good man. And God made great promises to Saul and his family and his house. Uh, but Saul, and boy, we can learn, this isn't a sermon, but boy, can we learn some stuff from Saul. Woo! Uh, there's people today that take lightly this Bible. They take carelessly the commands mentioned in this book. When we're told specifically what God wants us to do, they kind of act like it's the ten suggestions rather than the Ten Commandments. And this is where kind of Saul was. He kind of took God's word as suggestions. And God, when he tells you something, he's not giving you a suggestion. He's giving you a commandment. And he's going to hold you tight on it. And Saul, anointed king, obeyed God, but he had a glitch. And this glitch kept coming up. He did not have respect for the exactness and a word I like is a specificity. Specific. I love that word. Of God's word. The exactness of God's word. He was told to wait for Samuel to come, offer sacrifices to Gilgal, but he feared the people more than he feared God. He forced himself, went ahead and made sacrifices, though he was not a priest and should not have done it. He was told by God to totally destroy Agag and all the Amalekites. He did not. And spared the best of their animals as well as Agag alive. 
And he began to do that which was according to his own wisdom and not God's exact instructions. And consequently, God rejected Saul. And, and he went ahead with Samuel and anointed David. Most of you know all this. And for 15 years, Saul pursued David to kill him. That's a long time to run from anybody. I don't know about you, but living in caves where, where there's bats. Now, bats, a cave dwelling is not a good way to live. Bats live in caves, and you know what bats do at night? They fly. But what do bats do in the daytime? They go in the cave, and you know what bats do. And it's not a good place to live. But David literally had to pretend to be insane for a while and just do crazy stuff to he felt he needed to do to save his life because this, the whole nation of Israel under Saul was, was after David. Yet David was anointed by God to be king. Now, I don't know about you, but there would be some contradictions in my mind. If God came to me and said, you're going to be king of my people, and for 15 years he had me literally night by night have a guard around him and wait, you know, thinking maybe tonight's the night. Am I going to get killed tonight? That couldn't be fun. And you'd want to maybe question God. It don't seem like he did. But the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. Why? Because he cared about what God said. David's success with God was accomplished alone. David's success over a Goliath was accomplished not when he went down to the stream and grabbed the five stone, smooth stones on, in, 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 in his sling. It was accomplished when he was alone with God. His relationship, his strong relationship with God was stronger than Goliath. Boy, that's good. And if you're going to succeed with God, it, most of what you do and most of the great, the great power you'll receive from God will be you and God. It'll be your walk with him and talk with him and your fellowship with him alone. Now, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and a one-to-one -one communication through the Holy Spirit, you're missing what God has for you. Jonathan, which was a son of Saul, became very good friends with David. I mean, lifelong, deep friends with David. In a pure way, they loved each other. They loved each other as, as brothers love each other. They loved each other. And this happens when ideology unites. Ideology of Jonathan and the ideology of David were the same. And they united together in the same cause. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel 18, 3, and Jonathan and David made a covenant together that they would not, in, in 1 Samuel 20, verse 15, he says, but also thou shalt not cut off my kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David, every one from the face of the earth. Basically what Jonathan and David covenanted was that when you become king, and Jonathan knew that David was going to become king. And so he said, he said, he said when you become king, David, don't cut my family off. Don't do what all these other kings do, which is kill all the offspring of the former king so that there can be no competition. Don't do it. And they covenanted together. And David made a covenant of kindness with Jonathan for his family. 
But most of you know what happened. Jonathan and most of it, Saul, of course, Jonathan, and most of them got killed. God took them out. But they made, David made a covenant of kindness. I thought about that. Has not God the Father made a covenant of kindness to us for Jesus' sake? I'll tell you, I, I don't receive the kindness of God because I deserve it. I can tell you that. I'm not receiving the kindness of God in my life because I somehow merit it. I'm receiving it because of Jesus' sake. Mephibosheth, of course, received great kindness from David, and it wasn't because of Mephibosheth. It was for Jonathan's sake, David had made a covenant. He was receiving grace because of the act of another person. And boy, doesn't that what happened to you and me? We receive the grace of God because of what Jesus did for us. Boy, that's good. I like this story of Mephibosheth. How did he get lame? 2 Samuel 4, 4 says uh, uh, he was being carried at five years old, and they were in a rush to get out of Jezreel, and the nurse that was carrying him dropped him, and I'm going to say hit his spine, maybe, maybe in such a way where he never walked again. The lower part of his body became useless. He fell and became lame, and that's how Mephibosheth became lame. His name means dispeller of shame. But however, what an irony that name is, the speller of shame. Mephibosheth was in the midst of shame. He had a broken body, a broken family, broken financially, broken emotionally, broken in obscurity, tucked away in an old desert dry place east of the Jordan in a wilderness place called Lodibar. Lodibar means no bread. No bread. So this is the setting of 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 through 13. And I believe the grace of God is illustrated in these 13 verses around the story of Mephibosheth. And what is the grace of God? I believe in these 13 verses, it does in a unique way, a definition of what the grace of God is for you and for me. And let me go back to verse 1 there, if you've got your Bible, 2 Samuel 9, 1, David said, Is there yet any left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And I got a number of statements I'm going to make as we go through these verses. Grace is kindness shown one for another's sake. Mephibosheth was the lowliest of the low in that society, living in obscurity, all but forgotten, physically maimed. They didn't have handicapped parking in David's day. They didn't give Medicaid uh, and, and free machines to move around and, and play. They, they, when you were handicapped in those days, they stuck you out where nobody would see you so that you wouldn't bother anybody. That was Mephibosheth. Physically maimed, socially an outcast. Why in the world would David want to show this man kindness for Jonathan's sake? It doesn't take a genius, as I mentioned before, to see the parallel hill. I thank God today that Jesus had mercy on me for Jesus' sake. Or the Father had mercy on me for Jesus' sake. Wow. And in verse 2, it said, there was a house of Saul, the servant, and Ziba. And he, said, he reintroduced him. In verse 3, he says, 
Is there any in the house of Saul that I may show him the kindness of God? As he said, yeah, there's one. But he understand who David was. He didn't allow any handicapped folks in the city. Uh, the, the Leviticus said they couldn't be in the temple. They couldn't be in anywhere in that area. So you could get the idea that David was not real friendly towards people that had any kind of handicap. And so as he's asking Ziba this, it's got to be going through Ziba's mind. Like, well, well, yeah, he's got a son, but you're probably not going to want anything to do with him because he's handicapped, and you don't want him around here. You've made that an order, an edict in the city. He can't be there. Grace is kindness shown to those who are totally and completely undeserving. Mephibosheth wasn't just anybody. He was an enemy of King David. Normally, the family of the rival king, as I mentioned, were killed. And this had to surprise Ziba a little bit. You want to show Jonathan's son? Now, you know this is Jonathan's son. Some people may think he still has or is an heir to the kingdom. And some people may think, David, that you usurped Saul's kingdom and that you don't rightfully deserve Saul's kingdom. Now, we know better. But there were people that believed that, no doubt, especially in Saul's tribe and the family that they had. But the king said, go and fetch him. Go get him in this place called No Bread. Find him. I can imagine Ziba uh, turning around with those official orders on his heels and beginning in his hand going and getting the uh, king's servants there and, and requesting the best chariot of the king, of king's chariot. And I want the king's chariot and the king's horses. And I want a guard to go with me. And, and jumping in that chariot with them other people. And however big that entourage was. And uh, making his way some 65 miles up along the Jordan River. Crossing the Jordan River. Getting on the east side of the Jordan. To an absolute wilderness, nasty, dry, dusty place to try to find this, play, this person called Mephibosheth. I can imagine Mephibosheth had been sitting in this little run-down shack. Now, he didn't have any money. He had no prestige. He was in a society that didn't really treat handicapped folks very well. He'd been lame. I imagine he sat in that little shack thinking, my whole life's just going to be this. One day at a time, I'm going to sit in this shack and listen to the flies come and go and the chickens run in and out of the door and being in this little village I'm in. I can imagine this lying there unkept. You know you're not going to be able to wash yourself. He didn't have servants. You're not going to be able to wash yourself, be able to get to a place to be clean in this old dusty place called Lodi Bar. The old rags for clothes. Animals running in and out of his place. Dust swirling around his shack. Then all of a sudden, out of years of this same monotony. He starts hearing some young, some women scream and some young people begin to scream and make noise and chickens, you know how chickens are when they get scared of, they fly and he begins to hear the chickens flying. There's, a, there's something coming their way. They hear the horses and the hoofs of the horses and they ride up to this little shack and stop at his place. They stop at his place. This dry dirt, 
follows them, you know, this cloud of dust settles all around them, settles out there. As the chariot stops, some of the people wonder who this is, and he hears a voice that said, this is the chariot of King David. And then they hear his, he hears his name, Mephibosheth. Where are you, Mephibosheth? And I imagine it crosses his mind, and why wouldn't it? Well, I thought that they would come. I thought that they would come when they're going to find me, and I'm the last living threat to David's kingdom, and here it is. They're going to come and take me out. They're going to kill me. They're going to come to finish me off at last. And somehow Mephibosheth maybe always knew this would be the way it would end, to die in an obscure grave in a pitiful, helpless condition in a place called Lodibar. Imagine his shock and his amazement when Mephibosheth heard the honor guard said, Are you Mephibosheth? I am. You are an honored guest of King David, and we have come to take you to the king. He wants to see you and to help you. Now, I don't know if they had wheelchairs back then. I don't know whether men went in there and grabbed the guy, you know, in a little uh, uh, gurney or whatever they put him in and brought him in there, and he took him outside. Maybe he hadn't been outside in a long time, and the, the light had bothered his eyes, and he, got it. he began to focus on David's chariot. Now, David's chariot was, wow, it was a king's chariot. The king's horses were, wow. They weren't just any old horses. These were the best horses that could be purchased or raised. This was the finest looking chariot that you could make. These guards had the king's vestige on because they were guards to the king. So here all this is happening around him. And they take, he's got these old smell. He may have not taken a bath for, for uh, weeks at a time. Maybe he smelled. Maybe... Maybe his teeth were rotted, about half rotted out of his mouth and his hair matted to his... Wouldn't be surprised at all if all that was true. They pick him up, gently set him in to the chariot. People stare. What's going on? Look at that. Mephibosheth gets to ride in the king's chariot. And they turn those horses around, and they begin to make their way back down. They make their way across the river. They make their way down some 65 miles back to Jerusalem. And, you know, horses, they don't go all that fast. And I'm sure people's, people in that little town don't have much excitement going on. And they see, the, they see this whole uh, uh, entourage coming of the king and the horses and the chariot. And it's just like when a president comes through your, uh, your town. Everybody goes to the road, you know. You, I remember when... Uh, John F. Kennedy came through our town, and, boy, everybody came up to the road. They wanted to see that car go by. Nixon came through. Nobody came to the road. They heard the king was coming, so they got out by the road, and the crowds, and, and the kids, and the, wow, who in the world would get to ride in the king's chariot? Who? What kind of person? Would you have to be, what kind of honor would you have to be to be able to ride in the king's chariot? Grace is kindness that replaces the land of Lodibar with the land that is fairer than day. It's the king's land. Grace replaces this old aching body with a new painless body 
like unto his glorious body. In verse 6 there of chapter 9 of 2 Samuel, it says, Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, what did he do? He fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth, he answered, Behold, that's a Oh, oh, I long. Don't you long for Jesus to mention your name? Don't you long for the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who when he speaks, it happens, him to say your name? You say, well, there's a lot of people named my name. Yeah, but when he's looking at you and calls your name, you'll know it's going to be you. That's what happened here. Grace is kindness that replaces that old Lodabar, those old things, and gives us the king's land. Your name's mentioned. The result of grace is a heart full of gratitude. And Mephibosheth, he is grateful, did reverence to David. I hope you're not still in Lodabar. I hope as a born-again believer, when you came to Jesus Christ realizing you couldn't save yourself by any possible good works, that you only would be saved by the grace of Almighty God, that you allowed, if I may say it, the King's chariot, the Holy Spirit of God to come and fill you. I hope that you're not dwelling in the land that's dry, of no bread, but I hope you're dwelling in the place of grace, the place of gratitude and service. Verse 7 there, and David said unto him, Fear not. He was afraid. Fear not. I, I, think, when, I think when death comes and, and the angel clothed in white comes to you and says, Bill Jackson, I wouldn't be surprised that you have a little fear. I mean, it never happened to me before. What? What? What are you doing? And it's a good thing. You'll notice over and over in the Bible when it happens, they'll say, Fear not. Fear not. Why? Because you don't say fear not if there's no fear. There's fear. And he says, fear not. I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan, thy father's sake, and will restore all the land of Saul, thy father, that thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. Grace is kindness that replaces fear with fear not. Grace is kindness that restores one's dignity. We can eat at the king's table with the king's son. I don't deserve to eat at the king's table. I don't deserve to eat with the king's sons. But he says that's the way it's going to be. Grace is kindness that restores our lost possessions. When David became king and Saul's people were almost all killed, and here you have Mephibosheth and he don't, he's out in the middle of obscurity. He don't have anything. He's stripped. He's never going to have anything. But grace, by, when I came to Jesus Christ as a sinner, undone, able to save myself, dwelling in a place of no bread, a filthy in my garments of sin, and he says, hey, Jesus wants you to come to the king's house. And I got saved, born from above. And God gave me his mercy and his grace and restored whew, anything I gave up for him. You know, some people say, oh, I've given so much up for Jesus. You haven't given anything up for Jesus. I gave up a career. for No, you didn't give up a career. You gained what God has for you, brother. What God has for us is so much better than anything in this world. I, 
I heard today and I saw a little portion of Tiger Woods won the, the Masters again. 14 years apart, I believe it was, since he won the last time. The longest gap of anybody. He's not won it as much as Nichols, Nichols, uh, whatever is Nichols and Nichols. Jack Nichols. Nichols. Nicholson. That's an actor, right? I'm not big on golf. You know that. But he won, and he couldn't believe it. He won. And I thought, I saw him rejoice and just have a spell and everything, and I thought, but that's all he's got. If you don't know Jesus, brother, your best rejoicing in this side of heaven is going to all fade away and be gone. And someday you're going to be brought before the king of kings, having rejected him, and have to answer for your own sin. All this other accomplishment in this world will be all gone. It'll be all gone. I kind of felt bad for Tiger Woods a little bit this afternoon. If you don't know Christ, I don't know him. I don't know for sure what that is, but if he doesn't. Grace is kindness that restores our fruitfulness. Mephibosheth, by the way, Mephibosheth got to have Zeba's 15 sons and 20 servants. They now were Mephibosheth's 15 sons and 20 servants. At least they were working for him. Grace gives beauty for ashes. This passage, I mean, if it doesn't show that, it doesn't show anything. Unbelievable pronouncements in this passage. I mean, after all of this talk with David, and he he basically throws himself in front of David and says, I'm just a dead dog. I'm just a dead dog. I don't deserve any of this. And David says, Yes, but you're going to eat at my table continually. We're going to, all the land we was taken away because of Saul, you're going to get it back. Aziba's going to be your servant. All his children and his sons are going to harvest it for you. You're now a rich man. And bigger than that, you're not going to go live somewhere else. You're going to, you're going to live here. You're going to live here with my children, the king's sons. And I thought, I think, I think that wouldn't surprise me if Mephibosheth thought, well, that's good, that's, that's good, that's wonderful. I mean, you know, he was beyond, he was flabbergasted. And I think when it was all over, one of, the, one of David's servants said, let me take you to your room. You've had a long day. It's been unbelievable for you, I'm sure. Let's take your room. And I think maybe Mephibosheth said, well, they may take me out in some obscure room, some little place over on the side. But I don't think they did that. I think they took him down to the main rooms where the king's sons were, and they, he wheeled him in his, I don't know what it was, a wheelchair. I don't know. Uh, they had chariots. They had wheels, right? They had wheelchair, let's just say, down to the room there, and they wheeled him into this room, and you know, whoa, wow. Now, Mephibosheth hadn't been sleeping on anything. They had a temp, uh, tempurpedic. I mean, they, they had gold on the uh, faucets, running water. Uh, they had windows opened for air movement. They had a beautiful floor, fabulous painted walls, ceiling, plastered, beautiful. Maybe it was cedared, possibly. And, and the old boy takes him in there, and he says, is this my room? And maybe the servant cracks a little smile on his face and says, Mephibosheth, this is your room. This is where you're going to stay. You're, you're, and I think he called him Master Mephibosheth because now he's one of the king's sons. He has a title. He's not just, hey, Mephibosheth. 
This is Master Mephibosheth. Sir Mephibosheth. Grace of God. The grace is kindness of God. And it gives the king's clothes to us for pulpers' rags. You have, and I have no idea what lies ahead of us, but the, what we do know knocks my socks off. As a born-again believer, we're going to be given a new body like unto His glorious body. We're going to be clothed like the Lord Jesus and given a place to live. And by the way, the translation of King James is right. It is a mansion. People say, you think this just means dwelling place? Well, let me say this. Anything you God gives you in heaven is going to be a mansion compared to where you're living now, amen? And for some of you, that's more than others. But whatever you're living now is not going to compare with what's up there. That Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. I think Jesus is a pretty good interior decorator. What do you think from looking around? I've been looking at some of the things he's made. I think he did a great job. I think Mephibosheth said, well, I think the servant said, well, take your clothes off, Mephibosheth. And he goes, well, well, I only got one pair of clothes. And he says, oh, no, no, son. Uh, 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 excuse me, Master Mephibosheth. Uh, I have, we, have, we have a whole a wardrobe for you here. Uh, we'll make sure that you have the best of the clothes. We'll make sure you have everything. We're going to take these clothes you have now, and we're going to take the shoes, the little sandals you have, and we're going to throw all that away because you don't need that because now you're one of the king's sons. You don't need those old rags stained by sin anymore. The Christian life is so much better life. Grace is kindness. It gives a feather pillow for a rolled-up bamboo mat. He had been sleeping the night before on some old nasty bamboo mat. Maybe had used it for, for, for years and possibly had bugs. But, buddy, the grace of God gives you a feathered pillow in place of that old bamboo mat. The king's pillow. But that's not all grace does. This passage shows us more. Grace restores fellowship with a former enemy. Three times David mentioned that Mephibosheth was to eat at his table. Where do people, uh, where do you have the finest fellowship you've ever had? Around a table. Amen? Some of the, uh, people, you know, I, people say, you're going to eat in heaven? Of course you're going to eat in heaven. Did they eat before the fall? That's what got them in trouble. They ate at the wrong tree. But they ate. God made eating before the fall. We're going to have the marriage supper of the Lamb. And God's going to serve us at the marriage supper of the Lamb. You think the food's going to be good? You won't have that old ulcer. You won't have that sens sensitivity to green peppers. You won't have a, an allergy to onions. You won't have to worry about what they serve up to you in heaven by the grace of God. And more than all, just what we're going to eat what kind of fellowship are we going to have around the table? He said, Mephibosheth, you're going to eat at my table. Where do people have the finest fellowship? I'll tell you, around the table. Mephibosheth gets the fellowship around the king's table day after day after day and be one of them. Grace covers our infirmities and our weaknesses. When old Mephibosheth sat in a chair and was scooted up to that old table, the Tablecloth of grace draped over his mangled legs. Grace covers our infirmities. 
Your sins will not be brought back up to you when they go under the blood. I add, boy, we may be critical of each other, and we may have forgotten how, how much we've been forgiven, because I find critical people have forgotten where they were dug out, what, what, what pit they were dug out of. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 40, we were taken out of the miry clay, the pit of sin. Lastly, grace is kindness that completes our lives. Man, it completes us. Three times, verses 7, 10, and 13, David indicated that Mephibosheth wasn't just to eat, but to continually eat. The king is not going to change his mind on me. I never have been able to accept the, the theory that you can lose your salvation because it makes the king uh, unstable. And I can tell you one thing about the king, he's stable. And if he pronounces me and bursts me his son, I'm his son. And he may spank me, Hebrews 12, and he may discipline me, praise the Lord, and he will discipline me and has disciplined me, but I'm no longer treated as a stranger. From that point, I'm treated as his son. Amen? I've been, I've been made through faith in Jesus Christ, a child of the king, and so have you. Wow. Verse 8 of 2 Samuel 9 says, He bowed himself. What is thy servant thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? I've said that to God. What in the world would you give me such grace for? What is grace? It's God's kindness given to us in so many directions. You ever get depressed? Think of the grace of God. Do you ever get you ever get mad at God? Think of how much he's forgiven you. Do you ever get critical? Think of the grace of God that's forgiven you. The Bible says all your sins. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Not a little, all of it. Let me tell you, a lot of times people get self-righteous and they say, well, I never committed immorality or I never, commi I never cussed or I never gambled or I never stole or I never murdered or I never did this. And they kind of want to go like, you know, I'm a little bit better than them. But let me tell you, sin in, in God's perspective, he that offendeth the law in one point is what? You'll live all. Sin will send you to hell just as fast and just as sure of being a murderer as steal and nail, go to jail. It's the principle. Jesus said, if you look on a woman lust after, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Jesus, Jesus went through the law in the book of Matthew, and he brought the spirit of the law out of the letter of the law. And he brought the spirit out. And when he brought the spirit out, it made it clear to me that everybody's violated the law. In fact, the law was given to show how much of a sinner I really am. Why did it have to do that? Because I'm so bad that I would think I hadn't sinned. I've had people tell me, I don't, I've never sinned. I look at them like, you've never sinned? Are you kidding me? Oh, no, I've never sinned. I like songs. There's so much written about the grace of God. Wonderful grace of Jesus reaching the most defiled. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Grace, grace, God's grace. And can it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's love? On and on, songs ring down through the centuries of the grace of God. Why? Because we just flat can't get over it.
The grace of God is bigger and wider and deeper than I can imagine. And I am so thrilled tonight that I can be, though I'm lame, though I'm unworthy of the least of his favor, God said, Bill, if you trust Jesus as your Savior, you, I, for his sake, I'll make you eat at my table. Glory to God, brother. That's our position tonight in Christ. Father, help us to be able to see the grace of God. Father, in this story of Mephibosheth, we see demonstrated one more time how your grace is so thorough, so deep, so wide. Thank you for forgiving us of our sins. Thank you for placing in us the blessed Holy Spirit. Oh, Father, we pray tonight, if there be any in this room that have not received that grace, that have not believed with all of their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, confess with their mouth, believe he was raised from the dead, and simply by childlike faith ask you to save them. Father, may they do it tonight. And Lord God, if there's Christians in this room that have kind of, you kind of forgot where they came from, kind of, got, kind of got dim how much grace has been given to them, and they've kind of begun to look down on other folks and folks that maybe they think have sinned more or done worse, God have mercy on our souls. We're all as dead dogs before you. But you saved us, and you've loved us, and you're going to carry us all the way home. Pray that you just move in our hearts. May we have a new, fresh look at the grace of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. A couple verses. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.